You're listening to Comedy Central. Prequel coming out, baby. The life before Game of Thrones. And now everyone's excited for it. I don't know, maybe I'm the only person who's still burnt by the ending of the previous one. I don't want a prequel. I, I want them to like, cause now they're like, now we know how it started. I would rather be like, we know what the ending will be. Then I'll watch. Cause I don't need the shit that happened last time to happen again. Prequels are weird as well when you think about it. Like, it's just like, you know, this is how the thing, cause then you like know where it's gonna get to. You know certain characters can't die, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I, li- I like it when it's a sequel, that's what I like. You know, like Jon Snow left it all behind to grow weed on a farm. Yeah. He's like, smoking has always been my passion. <laughs> yeah, smoking has always brought me closer to who I am. Ah, smoking this. What's that strain, John? It's called Green Bastard. Ah. <laughs> Makes you forget your family. I do miss that show, though. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square, the most important place on Earth, it's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, religion gets a pass. The hunt for the clitoris. And Tristan Harris. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. So we kick things off with the magic of movies. Filmmakers can put all sorts of fantastical things on screen, from a billionaire who helps people to life in outer space. But now, filming science fiction movies is getting a little more grounded in science. We're following the latest developments as history is made with the first movie ever shot in space. Overnight, a Russian actress and a movie producer launched into space to shoot a movie on the International Space Station. They were accompanied by a cosmonaut. They're going to spend 10 days in zero gravity. The movie's about a doctor who goes to space to save the life of a cosmonaut on the International Space Station. Wow, first movie to shoot in space. I mean, either those guys are super dedicated filmmakers or they just really wanted to escape Russia. Yes, space is cold and dark, but not as cold and dark. Am I right, comrade? Because, I mean, it's a cool idea and all, but is it really worth all the effort when you can just fake it? I mean, especially considering how dangerous spaceflight is. I mean, your lead actor could literally get sucked out into space and then burn up in the sun. And then what? Now you gotta write a whole new ending. And obviously one of the biggest drawbacks about filming in space is that the movie has to be about space. You can't just film a regular rom-com and then not explain why the leads keep floating away from each other. Moving on to sports news. From Michael Vick to Ben Roethlisberger, American football stars have long been the gold standard for moral behavior. But now an NFL coach is in trouble for straying from that upright path. This morning, Jacksonville Jaguars football coach Urban Meyer is apologizing after video surfaced of him partying and dancing provocatively with a woman who is not his wife. Meyer, in his first year coaching in the NFL, has come up empty so far this season with his Jags winless after four games. The video surfacing just hours after Thursday night's loss to the Bengals. Urban, did you, did you fly back with the team or did you stay in? Um... No, I stayed to see the grandkids and we all went to dinner that night at... Uh restaurant and then there's a big group next to our restaurant and 
they wanted me to come over and take pictures, and I did. And they were trying to pull me out on a dance floor, screwing around, and I should have left. Some critics now claiming Meyer is unfit to coach. He acknowledged he's concerned the partying incident may affect his ability to lead. Whoa, 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 hold on. They're saying that this affects his ability to lead? Because he rubbed up against a butt? This is a sport where every single play starts with someone rubbing up against a butt. Seriously, whether or not this is like a moral failing in his personal life, I'm not really sure how it affects his ability to coach a football team. All right, team, I drew up our next play, and now I know it looks like a butt, but that's only because I can't stop thinking about touching butts. You know what doesn't make sense to me? Is how he dragged his grandkids into this thing. Like, what was that about? If you're in a scandal, the one thing that won't help you is to tell people that your grandkids were watching the whole time. I don't think that's the correct move. And let's be honest, let's be really honest here. The reason that he's getting so much shit right now is because his team is 0-4. If this guy was undefeated, he could have eaten that person and people would be like, look, you build up an appetite when you're winning games. Who are we to question the process? All right, that's all the time we got for the headlines. Let's jump straight into our main story. Every day, more and more companies are announcing a vaccine mandate for their employees. And if you work at one of those companies and you don't wanna comply, there are a couple of options for you. You can find a new job, you can hide in the office bathroom until 2027, or you can follow the hot new trend, claiming a religious exemption. A growing number of people are claiming religious reasons to dodge COVID vaccine mandates. In Washington, thousands of state workers are doing it. 419 DC fire and EMS employees are asking for a religious exemption. That's about one out of five of the department's employees. One of the largest districts in the country, Montgomery County, their public school is now facing a lawsuit for not having a religious exemption. This morning, at least seven United Airlines employees filing lawsuits against the airline over its vaccine policy, saying there were religious exemptions were denied. The NBA denied the request of Golden State Warrior Andrew Wiggins to be exempt from vaccine requirements. The 26-year-old based the request on a religious exemption. As the COVID-19 vaccine mandate deadline for City of Los Angeles employees looms, 2,600 LAPD officers said they will seek religious exemptions to refuse the vaccine. That's right, 2,600 LA police officers are trying to get a religious exemption to avoid getting the shots. And black people heard this and they were like, hey, can we get an exemption too? We also have a deep belief in not getting shot. But this is where we're at right now. Countless people across America who have already been vaccinated, by the way, for a million other diseases are now professing a very, let's say, convenient religious belief against taking the COVID vaccine. And you might be seeing this and thinking, damn, religious exemptions seem like a really bad idea. And maybe, maybe it's turned into that now but it wasn't always this way. In fact, we'll look at how a good idea went so wrong in our brand new segment, Red, White, and Broken. For most of human history, religious freedom was not a thing. Most governments had a state religion, and if you didn't believe in it, you either prayed very quietly or you burned at the stake very loudly. But America's founders didn't want a country torn apart by religious conflict. So when they wrote the constitution, they guaranteed freedom of religion in the first amendment. That's why they put it at the top of the constitution, because of how important they thought it was. And also because they knew nobody reads past page two. 
Now, this was an incredibly progressive idea at the time. And today we think of it as one of the greatest ideas from that era. I mean, it's certainly much better than the idea that you shouldn't leave the house without seven layers of clothing. It's summer, at least take off the wig, you freak. So part of that religious freedom meant that the government can't force you to do things that your religion forbids you from doing. For instance, if you're a devout Quaker, you don't have to fight in a war. If you're Amish, you don't have to send your kids to high school. If you're a Latter-day Saint, you don't have to come into work until later in the day. Well, that's not what it is. Yeah, but Steve told me that that's why he comes in at 3.30. God damn it, Steve! But when vaccines became widespread, it turned out some religious people had objections to those too. And that's when things started to get messy. Not even really till the 20th century that we start to see people using religion as a basis for opposing a vaccine. And it doesn't really pick up steam until the 1950s and 60s. It all takes root in the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The law essentially requires employers to make reasonable accommodations for employees who can't fulfill a job requirement due to religious beliefs. But the law doesn't give a lot of guidance when it comes to defining religion. According to rules laid out by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, a religious belief does not have to be recognized by an organized religion, and it can be new, unusual, or seem illogical or unreasonable to others. In 2012, a U.S. district court ruled that veganism was a sincerely held religious belief which gave one employee a pass from a flu shot. Yeah, you can laugh. But I can see how veganism could be considered a religion. I mean, think about it. They're super dedicated, they follow strict rules, and they think anyone who doesn't share their beliefs should go to hell. You know, in fact, now that I think about it, my vegan friends talk way more about being vegan than my Christian friends talk about Jesus. Like, I don't even know what church Dave goes to, but I know exactly what Mariah had for lunch. The point is, America got into a situation where it was giving exemptions for religious beliefs while being very open-minded about what a religious belief was. And look, there are good reasons why you don't want the government picking apart every religion like it's a cheating boyfriend on TikTok. You'd rather have the government say veganism is a religion than have the government say veganism isn't a religion and also neither is Islam. Unfortunately though, the flip side of being that tolerant is that people can take advantage of the system. You know, it's like how when airlines didn't define what an emotional support animal was, at first you had genuinely traumatized people bringing their pets on the plane. But then before long, I was fighting an alligator for an armrest. Can you tell me again what this animal is helping you with? Because he's giving me anxiety, man. So, because the government chose not to nitpick what a religious belief could be, it didn't take long for the idea of religious exemptions to start showing cracks. Because of vaccines, we were able to do something that is hardly ever done, which is to actually eliminate a disease. We eliminated measles in the United States in the year 2000. And all of a sudden, everything changed. State of emergency that's been declared as the nation faces one of the worst measles outbreaks in decades. In 2000, about 1% of Oregon kindergartners were not fully vaccinated for philosophical or religious reasons. Last year, it jumped to 7%, the highest rate in the country. In Vermont, there was a 640% increase in kindergarten children with religious vaccine exemptions. The fact that we have had so many cases in 2018 is really quite discouraging. This is a completely avoidable situation. 
Oh man, poor Dr. Fauci. <laughs> this guy has spent his whole career trying to convince people that dying from disease is bad. COVID, measles. I bet if you went back to the 14th century, there was a Dr. Fauci begging people not to get the Black Plague. People, please, don't have sex with those rats. This is a very avoidable situation. So thanks to those religious exemptions, measles became the throwback fad that nobody asked for, which is not fair to everyone else. And it's definitely also not fair to measles. I mean, think about it. Measles has been retired all these years and then suddenly it has to start working again. And all because kindergartners have philosophical objections to the vaccine. I mean, I'm pretty sure the only philosophy that a kindergartner has is we should turn on Paw Patrol. I mean, think about how crazy it is that in America, you can send your kids to school with measles, right? But if they bring peanut butter with them, their little ass is getting thrown out in the snow. And it turns out that the same way Sarah Palin was just a trial run for Donald Trump, the measles anti-vaxxers were just a trial run for COVID. Because now even more people are seeking religious exemptions from vaccines. And they're finding a lot of help from their fellow worshipers online. We found websites that help people request exemptions. One urge include words like sacred, holy, worship, blessed, and others. Thousands of Facebook users are actually teaching each other how to obtain religious exemptions from the vaccine. These are folks who are swapping tips, who are showing each other how to evade uh, filters. On Instagram, the lead pastor of Destiny Christian Church issues an open invitation to anyone seeking religious exemption. If you feel morally compromised, by taking this vaccine. We have a form for you. Numerous churches across the country are offering the same. We found a self-described evangelist offering vaccine exemption letters to anyone who wants one. Curious, our producer emailed her. He's fully vaccinated already, by the way. She offered to write letters not just for him, but three family members once he PayPal'd her at least $25. $10 minimum donation for each additional family member after that. This woman says she's a Christian. Our producer is Jewish. No questions asked about religion or medicine or anything. Wow, okay. That's not exactly the interreligious harmony that I've been hoping for. And as shocking as it may seem, I think it's pretty obvious that some religious leaders are gonna try to keep people unvaccinated. I mean, after all, they make money from getting the letters and then they make a ton of money from doing the funerals. But still, it doesn't take a genius to see how the great idea of religious freedoms has been corrupted. You know, the question used to be, do you have a sincere religious belief? And now it's, do you have a PayPal account? And the reason that people need to work so hard to cheat the system with fake religious beliefs is that basically every actual religion has told its followers to get thine ass vaccinated. Faith organizations have come out to say the benefits of getting the vaccine far outweigh any ethical concerns about its development. Jewish scholars say the Torah requires it. Muslim leaders endorse it too, leaving legitimate religious excuses to skip the shots far and few between. Today's sermon, or khutbah in Islam, is Imam Qurayasam's fact check for the faithful. This vaccine is absolutely halal. The COVID-19 vaccines got a holy endorsement on Wednesday. Pope Francis told reporters that humanity has a history of friendship with vaccines and urged everyone to get their shots. In India, the Dalai Lama getting his first coronavirus vaccine shot 
the Tibetan spiritual leader urging his followers to do the same. Have courage to take this injection. Yeah, leaders of Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and Buddhism all agree that there's nothing in religion that stops people from getting the vaccine. Now we just need Beyonce to put out a statement and then all religions are covered. But think about how crazy it is to have all the major religions saying there's no religious objection to the vaccine. These guys don't agree on anything. Hell, Buddhists believe that the middle seat of an airplane is one of the best. Free yourself from the desire for an aisle seat. The only window that matters is the window in your mind. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. Excuse me, excuse me, sorry, excuse me. Sorry, watch, watch the rope, please. Excuse me, sorry, excuse, excuse me. Can you get out of the way? So, that's how religious exemptions became red, white, and broken. A fantastic idea that was once the foundation for a society where people could pray the way they wish to pray has now warped into an excuse that people can use just to avoid the rules. I mean, the one upside is now I get to steal people's cars, I get to eat fish on a plane, cut in line everywhere I go, and even punch toddlers in the street. And if people say, hey, Trevor, stop being an asshole, I can say, yo, 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 I'm not being an asshole. These are just my religious beliefs. All right, when we come back, Michael Costa learns something surprising about the clitoris. Wait, what? Oh boy, I'm definitely coming back after the break. Welcome back to The Daily Show. Every once in a while, an ordinary person goes above and beyond to change the world. Tonight, Michael Costa has found one of those persons for another episode of Thank Me Later. Hi, I'm Michael Costa. Believe it or not, modern doctors or gynecologists aren't being adequately trained on the anatomy of the zone that makes the clitoris. That is, until one woman decided to give doctors, and laymen such as myself, the map we so desperately needed. I sat down with this hero, and you, you can thank me later. I'm Jessica Pan, and I have gotten five textbooks changed to include detailed anatomy of the clitoris. Let me just back up here for a second, because I know about the clitoris, okay? I know very much about the clitoris, but some of our audience may be a little less informed. So why don't you just explain to our audience where and what the clitoris is, please. Um, so the clitoris is the primary sensory organ of female sexual response. The primary sensory organ of the female sexual response. Go ahead, yep. It looks like this. That looks like a coat hanger with balls. Well, this is what a clitoris looks like. Most women orgasm from external clitoral stimulation. Show me again how exactly how you did that. I mean, I know, but just so our viewers, just show me again. This is a common way to stimulate the clitoris. And this is the anatomy that I've been getting covered. At the time of Jessica's study, no medical textbook included anatomy of the clitoris, while these same textbooks were cock-a-block with penis cross-sections. Ouch. So the penis gets covered in great depth. As an example, Medscape provides 57 times as many words on the penis as on the clitoris. And I've asked them to- Dick, dong, ding dong, slong. Oh no, no, I mean like words, like I counted the number of words in order to quantify how much coverage there was of penile anatomy versus clitoral anatomy. It was 57 times. 
And that's a huge problem because doctors will think they know adequate clitoral anatomy when they don't. That's scary because then they will be operating on people and not realizing what they need to watch out for. And that's actually what happened to me. Jessica herself was harmed during a surgery and dove into academic research to find out what went wrong. She soon discovered that medical textbooks were ignoring the clitoris. And she decided to apply some pressure to this sensitive area. When I first started emailing medical leadership and textbook authors, it didn't seem like I was getting anywhere. No one was listening, and it was so frustrating. In 2018, I crashed the ACOG annual meeting. ACOG is the American College of OBGYNs. And I passed out flyers of clitoral anatomy. Not surprisingly, Jessica's strategy of handing out flyers, like the clitoris was a Times Square comedy show, didn't work. I realized there was a need for me to have credibility. So I went to my dad, who is a plastic surgeon, and I told him that I needed to publish a study. So I dissected clitorises with my dad. We what? You what? It's actually so funny. I dissected clitorises with my dad. That's amazing. Me and my dad watch Adam Sandler movies, but if this is what you do with your dad, cool. Yeah. How do you dissect a clitoris? From cadavers? Dead people clitoris? Yeah, that's how you learn anatomy. Then it was time for Jessica and her dad to start slicing and dicing. We went to the anatomy lab and my dad said a lot of people faint or throw up. So if you need to sit down, that's okay. And I was like, no, like hand me the scissors. Before our study, a surprising number of OBGYNs told me to my face, those nerves are very thin and difficult to dissect, but they were larger than even I thought. Wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. How do you know that this cadaver didn't just have a big clitoris? Oh, uh, well, we By the way, ten... that's the first time I've ever said that sentence in my life. So we did 10 for our study. And so we measured the nerves in all 10 specimens. Wow. In 2019, Jessica's groundbreaking study was published in the Aesthetic Surgery Journal, but it didn't get a lot of attention. The medical community was ignoring her study like it was, uh, I just can't think of a good analogy, but, but, but you get it. So Jessica started pushing her cause on social media, publicly calling out doctors and textbook authors, forcing them to make real changes. Wait, you're saying TikTok? made real-life changes to actual graduate-level medical textbooks? Yeah, five of them! Wow. Okay. Besides the sense of satisfaction you get from protecting women from needless suffering, have you received uh, anything for your work? Any cash payments or schools named after you? A free sub at Subway? No. <laughs> Jessica, we mailed you a box. Okay. Could you please read it out loud? It says, Jessica Ann Penn, you may have rubbed a few people the wrong way, but thank you for your tireless service to enlarge our nation's literature. Oh, that's awesome. So far, Jessica's activism has helped change standardized exams for some med school graduates, new certification guidelines for practicing OBGYNs, and five textbooks. 
And Jessica, you can add one more book to your list because I'm updating my diary. And you can thank me later. Thank you so much for that, Michael. All right, when we come back, Tristan Harris will be joining me on the show to tell us how Facebook is making us want to kill each other. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is Tristan Harris of the Center for Humane Technology. He's here to talk about Facebook and whether the social media giants can be both responsible and profitable. Tristan, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here with you. Um, your face is one that I, uh, I both enjoy seeing, but at the same time, it brings me a lot of um, sort of PTSD. Yeah. Because um, you said a lot of things in the documentary where I think a lot of people would probably know you from, The Social Dilemma. Yeah where you just laid out how like, social media is fundamentally designed to turn my brain into a certain type of mush yeah. <laughs> and then just leave me feeling shitty about myself, but constantly needing to re-engage with the product. Yeah. Um, yesterday, everything was down, or most of it was down. You know, Facebook was down, Instagram was down, WhatsApp, etc. Were you popping champagne when that was happening as somebody who has been um, like really hitting on the idea that everything should be reined in? Uh, well, I think it certainly gave people a taste of what it's like to just not have this thing in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so interesting that it happened the day after this Frances Haugen, the whistleblower from Facebook, came forward. Right. Because she's basically uh, just, I mean, this is the largest release, I think, that we're going to see in Facebook's history. Because after this, there's probably never going to be research at tech companies that's done on identifying the harms of their products. Why do you say that? Well, because, so Frances, the whistleblower, she basically, I think, took photos of basically all of this research, tens of thousands of documents. Oh, wow, and, okay. And once that happened, it's showing that it's, it's not just that, that the harms in the social dilemma are true, it's that Facebook knew that they are harming teenage mental Got health. Got they it. know that Got they drive anorexia and body dysmorphia and body eating disorders in children. They know that it drives political parties in Europe India, Poland, um, uh, uh, Taiwan, mm -hmm. uh, Spain, mm -hmm. to go more negative and divisive. So that the key of the, the whistleblower's uh, insights is that they know that it's sort of harming society, but they don't change because they still prioritize profits over safety. So let's, let's, let's try to break this whole thing down. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with almost everything that you say. You know, I sit there, I see it in my own life, I see it with my friends, I see it in my society. Yeah. You know, I see what these apps do to us. I, I, I always ask myself the question though, I go, is the app to blame, is the ecosystem to blame, or do these apps just amplify what society will naturally do? Mm -hmm. You know, so I think of it like as humans, you know, back in the day I had to like get to you to give you my opinion, right. which would I think generally lessen the amount of conflict between people because right. you were in that village, I was in that village. It took a while before our villages had to meet head on. Whereas now, I can have an idea in New York that can offend somebody in India right. just because of social media. Yep. So, so is, it, is it that social media is the problem or is it just humans are the problem and social media amplifies the problems? Um, it's a great question. I think the problem is that you know, the worst of human nature exists in, in all of us, um, okay. but the best in human nature also exists in all of us. I mean, you look, you've got the Janjaweed and child soldiers in certain places, and you've mm -hmm. also got these peaceful tribes that have lived in harmony with nature for thousands of years you know, in, in, in whatever way. Um, but when social media, every day, when you look at it, it points a trillion dollars of compute power at finding the next fault line in society. So when you open up the feed uh. and it says, okay, what am I going to show you? And it has to rank it by what's going to get the most attention. And the way it does that is it, it takes the trillion dollar market cap of those companies, supercomputer, calculates, okay, what would most likely get you not just to look at it or click or share, 
but to comment on it. Facebook recently in these revelations, right. it found that they were sorting for what they call meaningful social interactions, uh -huh. which basically meant the largest like argumentative comment threads. So when you have an AI pointed at finding the next fault line in society, right. Right. like perfectly with hyper like micro-targeted personalized precision, like the thing that'll make you hate your fellow countrymen and women, mm -hmm. and then you run society through that for 10 years, like it, it's no surprise that whether it's vaccines or masks or anything that we would be this divided. And the key is that the more it polarizes citizens, the more it forces politicians to actually cater to a more extreme base that never resolves. We don't ever get synthesis, mm -hmm. which means democracy, that's like you just throw wrench, you know, a, a wrench into the gears of right, democracy. Right, right. And when people don't see that the system is working, they veer towards authoritarians or demagogues because the democracy is not working. Interesting. So what you're saying is when people feel like it's all fallen apart, they then look to the most extreme leaders to try to get them out of it because they feel like the system itself is broken. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if the system's not delivering results to you, if, like, like there's this pothole or there's inequality, yeah, or there's climate yeah, change yeah. Or, or social justice, whatever the issue you care about, that's the thing. This is a bipartisan issue because it takes whatever you feel and then it shows you a more extreme version of why you should be angry mm -hmm. about that thing. Mm -hmm. And then again, that makes you never have... Um, You'll, you'll never elect people who, who have some kind of synthesis of what should be done. The, the key evidence in the Facebook revelations was that in political parties said to Facebook, we know you changed your ranking system. Right. And Facebook's like, oh, come on. Like, people have this conspiracy theory right, all the right, time. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you think we changed it. Tell us what you think happened. And the political party said, no, we know you changed it because we used to be able to publish policy papers about our agriculture policy yes, and what we're right, going to do. Right, right. And then they said, when you change the algorithm, we, we no longer got traffic for those papers. We noticed we only got traffic when we said negative things about our opponents. Interesting. And we don't want to do that, but we don't have any other choice. And what that shows you is in the political marketplace of ideas, we don't have an invisible hand where it's like people are just choosing freely. Uh -huh, uh -huh. We have the digital hand of Mark Zuckerberg that is, that is choosing the conditions that politicians have to cater to. It's so interesting that you, you say this because I, I had a conversation with um, a friend and then I had another conversation with someone who I just know who's conservative, right? And what was interesting was the, 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 the friend of mine was going like, he's like, oh, hey, you know, uh, I, was, I was disappointed that when you, when you had this thing on your show, you said this, um, but then you didn't present like, a, like a, a nuanced view on the whole thing. And I was like, what are you talking about? I said exactly that. Mm. And then he was like, no, you didn't say that. I said, no, I did say that. And I said, where did you, where did you watch the show? He's like, oh no, I saw a clip on, exactly. online. Exactly. I was, I, was, I was intrigued by which clip went to which people. Right. So like I found, like just for me as Trevor, I found right. like some of the clips that I make, like someone will cut them the way they want to cut it. Right. And if that clip like really inflames conservatives, that's the clip that'll go to them. Exactly. But then if there's a clip that liberals enjoy, that's the clip that'll go to them. But exactly. they won't get like a whole thing. They won't get an argument. They won't get an idea. Exactly. And so now you're telling me that Mark Zuckerberg is doing this to me. Exactly. Well, so this is actually really important. It doesn't just change what political parties do to get elected. It also changes what publishers or what media do. Like, so when you're doing your show, right. you have so many people who are tuning in right now uh -huh, listening uh -huh. to you. But then you also know that you get millions more people course, watching yeah. downstream. Right. So that forces, so when they change the digital, when the Zuckerberg digital hand says, we're going to reward you know, negativity or what personalizes to get people angry, each of those clips will, like, just like you said, the thing that, that outrages conservatives goes directly to that group and they don't get the context. Right. And the thing that goes to liberals, sa same thing. But again, what it's doing is it's making us hate our fellow countrymen and women. 
Like, it's actually not about censoring conservatives or misinformation. It's actually just viral engagement that's the problem. That's like the thalidomide, the DDT uh -huh, for our democracy. Uh -huh. that's, 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 that primes it to blow up, yeah, essentially. Exactly. Okay, but now, let's say if Mark Zuckerberg was right here. First, I would fight him because, right. as you said, he's spoiling, it, <laughs> spoiling my life. But secondly, he would argue. He would say, look, I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to get engagement. I'm just trying to get this thing going. It's not about negativity. I don't want it to be negative. It's that people are drawn to the negative. I'm also trying to, I'm trying to foster the positive as right. well. W what would your argument against that be? So they want to claim that they're just a mirror for society. Like, yes. You know, like yes. It's, so first of all, it is totally true that polarization has existed in our society right. way before that. But then when you show people um, like a, a news feed that they're going to look at for hours a day, mm -hmm. and you sort that by what gets, again, the most controversy, the most outrage, which do you think is going to happen? Are people going to become more synthesis oriented? We're defining their reality, essentially. We're defining their reality. Yeah. More than that, we actually have new evidence that when Facebook defines the reality, we've been saying that for a while. Um, what just came out uh, a week ago is Facebook has a project called Project Amplify, where they actually they want to sow positive news about Facebook. So they oh, actually yes. Yes. show people positive stories, and it can be targeted <laughs> to you. So if you love horses, you'll see the story about how Facebook helped someone who lost their horse in a somewhere in a farm. That's amazing. That they'll get, and to so find it makes a horse or to whatever. Yeah. Right. And so again, it's like you know, I think Lord Mayor Rothschild said, "Give me a control over a nation's money supply, and I care not who makes its laws." But if I'm Zuckerberg, I say, "Give me a control of people's attention, beliefs, and behaviors, Oof. and I care not about anything else." In a way, Facebook is a for-profit sort of parallel government that's like an AI government that is controlling and shaping people's beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors. And again, with, with artificial intelligence. So it's like, it's your right. brain Well, I mean, we, we, saw, we saw how powerful that was in, uh, with, the, with the election. Let's say Brexit. We saw Brexit. We saw um, with the rise of Trump. We saw that with just, I mean, even in like Trinidad, it was like all these tools that that company was using, Cambridge Analytica, they were using those Facebook tools to yeah. shape people's realities. Exactly. They could get people to not vote, ironically, not just vote, but not vote. Right. So then what is the answer? Do you, do you switch to China's model where China goes, hey, no more than 40 minutes of TikTok in a weekend and no video game. We're going to just shape society. Do, do we switch to that model? That's, it seems a, dystopian. Right. It's a, it's a great question and a great point. It seems recently, so I would say this. Currently, we're faced with what appears like two bad options. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you allow these business models to continue. You take your hand off the steering wheel, let this keep going. Right. And it basically just breaks democracy into chaos. Or <laughs> it seems like there's this other model, China. And China basically controls its internet. It almost seems like Xi Jinping uh, saw the social dilemma because over the last two weeks... Yeah, he's been pretty intense. He has, he has actually... Um, they've changed the Chinese regulations so that teenagers, if you're under the age of 14 and you use TikTok, they, you only get to use it for, I think it's 40 minutes a day. Yeah. And they show kids science experiments and um, uh, museum exhibits right. and things that basically... Because they want their kids to be astronauts. Yeah, like how to be a doctor and what... Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and then in our case, in the catastrophe land, we allow sort of TikTok to reward whatever just gets the most engagement. Like the devious licks challenge. How to burn down your school. How to burn down your school yeah. or become an influencer. Right. So basically, it's like we want our kids to be influencers. We allow that. That's catastrophe. Or you get dystopia in the form of oppression where you're mm -hmm. controlling mm -hmm. it. The whole point of this conversation, and I think what Francis uh, Haugen, the brave whistleblower who came forward, right. is, is that we have to show there's a third way that's not anti-technology, it's actually democracy plus technology equals a stronger democracy. Mm -hmm. We can notice that China is employing technology to make a stronger authoritarian society, okay. but democracy is not consciously employing technology to make stronger okay. democracy with more civic participation. That's what we want to create. It's not anti-big tech, it's how do we make sure technology and open societies. 
allow us to create something that's more humane and positive for people. And that's the change that has to come from this. Yeah, but how's the change gonna happen when people in Congress don't even know what an app is? I mean, you saw there was a congressman who was up there, a senator who's like, oh no, well, Finster, are you gonna, are you gonna delete Finster? If those are the people making the laws, then I argue that the laws will never be made. And then big tech is influencing which laws are even thought about because of the lobbying system. Correct. So then what is, what is the solution? How do you even do this? Well, I think, first of all, I just want to say, I think that I feel so hopeful. It almost made me emotional today watching Frances Haugen, the whistleblower, mm -hmm. because I honestly think that she turned the tide. And we are going to have um, regulation that's, that's coming from people like her, like groups like Accountable Tech, some of us, Avaz, Center for Humane Technology, my organization, where people who understand these issues can get us to a place where we're not ranking for what creates crazy town in society. Interesting. And I think that's what we have to do. And I think one of the last things to say is that if we don't do this, it's, it's kind of a national security threat. Like we used to say, if, if Russia or China were going to blow up the Congress, we have to have continuity of government. We have to make sure right, the government right, can continue right. operating. Well, in a way, this is like information warfare that blows up the, the functioning of mm -hmm. Congress. It's almost mm -hmm. like an EMP attack on culture and our ability to make functional democracy. So I think if we see this as a national security threat, if we see this as urgent for our children, we can make a bigger change than what's been proposed so far. Well, as you said, I hope that the whistleblower has started a, a tidal wave that can hopefully, you know, get things moving. And um, I hope you'll keep talking. We'll keep talking about it as well, because I do not want to be part of a world where people want to punch me for <laughs> not the full context of what I said. Punch me because I said something, but know what I said uh, exactly. in full. Thank you so exactly. much for joining me. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. If you want to hear more of Tristan's ideas, check out his podcast, Your Undivided Attention. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Yeah, for real, man. I, um, that was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's like a, that, that's the thing that blew my mind is where even some of my friends were right. going like, I can't believe you. Then I was like, what are you talking about? Right. That? Well, the, the business model is to take things out of context yeah. because then it spreads farther. And the more personalized it is, like... So I've had people from one show, literally one show, right. have completely different, but it's like the same show. And they go like, in this show, you said this. And then the other person goes, in this show, you said the opposite. I'm like, guys... This was a conversation, it was ideas, it was, and so now I've learned, it's like, yeah. Well, and the other thing is, you said this earlier, is like, when you have a relationship with someone and they say something that like, you're like, that seems crazy, but if you know them, you don't say like, I hate them, yes. right? And when, when like, those people who I see what they say on Twitter, who are friends of mine, and I see, I'm like, wow, out of context, I'm like, even I think, that's that's yes. really yeah. wrong and right, crazy. Right. But I know them, so I know, I could talk to them and say like, I know you don't actually mean this interpretation, right? right, right. right. But when we don't have our relationships, um, like when we don't actually have physical relationships because we're doing it all through technology, we lose that, that, that background trust. Well, you know, one of the funniest things I saw the other day is I opened up my Instagram and then Instagram popped up a notification and it was like, hey, why don't you make a second account so that you can be like, be more personal with some of your close friends? And I was like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I was like, what, what are you trying to tell me here? So it's almost like Instagram was going like, okay, this is, this is like your businessy thought account, Trev. Right, right. This is where you're going to be like, ooh, look at me. And then how, why don't you make another account? And this one's going to be a different. But it was interesting that it was almost acknowledging in and of itself that, hey, this thing here is not your friend. Yeah. This is not, these are not your people. These right, are not right, your, right. You, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so... To that point, I've noticed some people where you don't even see them anymore. Right. Like, I, I will see DJ Khaled more than I will see my best friend's Instagram. Right. But I want to see my best friend. But they go like, yeah, but DJ Khaled, when he was running, you watched the clip three times. Exactly. Your friend, you just exactly. saw it and liked it and you moved on. And they're doing that because they'll just do 
whatever will keep you and everyone else engaged more. Right. And so if the celebrities do, if the, the people who are further from you but are more famous gets more of your attention, right. they're always going to show that over your close friends. And that's what they showed in the Facebook files is that like over and over again, um, they had a choice between, between doing what was good for people, including like showing more friends and family and less of that other stuff. But then if that dropped engagement, it's like we can't afford to make that change. Yeah. So there's things that they know that they can do and they're not even doing those things. Anyway, Essentially, I know we've you, know what, you know what it sounds like to me? It's almost like a... Um, how at some point they said like a bar has to be responsible for how much a person drinks. Yeah. You know where they go like you can't just keep giving if you see the person right. is like blacking out yes. if you see a person exactly. there's some like, responsibility can't even speak, there. You got to be like hey you've had one too many. Right. And I like as, as humans some bartenders are like buddy I think you've had one too. You know what I mean? There's that element of responsibility. Yeah. And there's a human keys. relationship there. Yes, too, exactly. Because right? you see right. them and you, and you 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 can empathize with them as a person. You see they're falling into their their glass or something. Right. Right. But the opposite is true with the tech companies. Yeah. First of all. Facebook has never sent me a message, or Instagram has never sent me like, hey, you've been scrolling for a while. Hey, yo, Trev, it's been an hour. Exactly. Well, and, and the opposite of that, if you, if you notice, if you try to stop using it, have you ever yes. tried like not using? Oh yeah, yeah, I okay. tried off to watch the social dilemma. Okay. Yeah. And so, what did you notice after in that week? What happens? So this is what this is, this is what happens is when you when you do or if you do come. So first of all, what happens is mysteriously they'll send you an email. Right. Right. I'm off social media. I'm like, I'm taking a break. Exactly. Let me just chill on this thing. I've seen the documentary. I want to change my life. Then I get an email. I don't subscribe to any emails. Right, right. Then I, the first thing I do is unsubscribe. I'm like, what are you talking I don't subscribe to any emails. Right. Hey, just so you know, Tristan commented on you. Exactly. But I'm like, no, but I've never subscribed to this. I never get emails. Right. Now all of a sudden, Facebook or Instagram would send me the email Correct. telling me something. Then I'll be like, what happened here? Right. They lure me in, you know, Correct. curiosity kills the cat. Exactly. So I go in and then I log in. And man, it'll make sure the first picture I see engages me in some, it'll be something heinous. It, you know, it'll be like, oh, look at what's happening to these people in this country. Where I'm like, shit, this is terrible. It'll be a disaster. Or it'll be, it'll just find totally. the thing yeah. where it'll get you. Well, they know they need to do that extra spike because they, if you haven't used it for a while, yeah. they have to show you the thing that they know is going to get yeah. you. And like you said, if you don't use it, they start dialing up like a digital drug lord, like, yeah. well, let me try like these five things. And they'll start emailing you. Right. They'll start texting you. They actually will previously, like, like you said, they don't, Instagram didn't text you before to no. email you before. No. But when you stop using it, it's like they're a drug lord. They need you right. to come back. And they have to figure out like, oh, you stopped using. How can I get you to come back a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they'll even be like, hey, just check in on your account. We, th we noticed someone might have, and you're like, my account? What's happening? And you right. come in. They're yeah. like, ah, oh, false alarm. But yeah, look, exactly. look, at these, look at these things. Exactly. Look at these things. Exactly. Thank you so much exactly. for joining Thank me Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. If you want to hear more of Tristan's ideas, check out his podcast, Your Undivided Attention. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, this week is Mental Illness Awareness Week, so please consider supporting the ACOMA Project. The ACOMA Project offers free virtual therapy and workshops for teens and young adults of color, as well as educating youth and their families on the importance of mental health. If you wanna support them in this work, then please donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you need a religious exemption for the vaccine or anything else, you just hit me up on Venmo. I got you. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.